Hello, everybody. Welcome back to One Left. It's been a little bit, but we wanted to to try to record again here and talk about um, some of the things that have been going have been going on. Obviously, there's there's new things going on every day, so it's impossible to keep up. Um, but today, we kind of want to focus on some of kind of the infighting we see um, on the left, but we'll also get into some of that on the right as well. Um, so I'm JJ Keller. I'm joined by Adam Robinson. Hey, and how's everybody doing? So I guess first off, we'll, we'll kind of talk about, uh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, we had um, those 13 indictments of, of Russians um, who were kind of interfering in on social media and things like that. Um, and named in that was that, that some of them were um, supporting other candidates be- besides Donald Trump, namely Bernie Sanders and also Jill Stein. Um, and that's, that's concerning, even as someone who is a, a Bernie supporter. Um, you know, I think that's something we have to, to think about. I think it matters. Um, but I th- there were also some people who seemed to want to jump on that as an opportunity to say that Bernie was was somehow involved. Um, and I, I don't see any evidence of that. Certainly, if there were evidence that he knew about it or was participating, then that's a huge issue. And he needs to, to you know, whatever legal action needs to be taken, you know, even as someone who supported him, I would definitely, you know, that would change my mind. Um, but until then, I think it's kind of just being used as an opportunity to, to, you know, further this divide. Um, and I think some of the staunch, you know, Hillary only supporters are, are kind of the ones doing that. Um, but you know, his supporters are, are also, I think, ignoring it too much because they don't want to kind of face any of that reality. They, they want to blame it 100% on Hillary, uh, her loss 100% on her rather than acknowledging that there were other things going on. Um, yeah. Why so can't think, we, why can't we embrace both? Right, JJ? Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, I think <laughs> both are possible. Know, right. I think, I think, you know, her campaign made some mistakes, not going to yep. the Rust Belt enough. And we saw that that's one of the main reasons she lost, you know, she got more votes, but it was, you know, what 50,000 or a hundred thousand well-placed votes in a few different States that, you know, maybe she should have campaigned more in. Um, sure. But that doesn't mean that, you know, Russia didn't um, make a difference. So I guess, Adam, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's just about hysteria, you know, and it's easy to get hysterical about the Russia thing and to kind of, you know, blame everything on the other. Uh, and I think uh, if we continue to do that, especially as a, a party that's supposed to be progressive, that doesn't demonize the other or the different you know, and the challenges of the Democratic Party is that we're very nuanced. We're a broad coalition. We are purposefully bringing different ideas. And sometimes that can bring about really passionate debate. And in passion debate, it can get to the fringes where we end up in corners yelling at each other instead of coming into the middle and caucusing together, right? Um, and and I think it's okay for us to have differences of opinion, uh, we've really just got to move forward. Um, I don't believe it does us any value to be a fragmented party where the Republicans tend to talk the talk, but when it comes to action, they kind of step in line pretty effectively. And if we have want to have any chance of flipping the House and having any march towards progressive ideals, we've got to stop fighting each other and and we've got to put those things away and let honestly the investigations play out and let that be our lightning rod and what we kind of look at things i think at the end of the day if we're not together 
then we're going to continue to see Republicans get elected and we're going to continue to not see progress. And so um, I believe that we need to go ahead and stop talking about Hillary and Bernie in a way. Uh, We need to stop getting so hysterical about Russia and we need to focus on strengthening our togetherness around policy and ideas to create a construct of fairness and a a construct that allows us to all succeed individually and come together and put that forward. So let's be infighting and come together. That's, that's my thoughts. And as a, as a Hillary supporter, you know me, I'm a centrist dim willing to even support Republicans at times um, because I'm not a cult member and no one should be. Uh, as a Hillary supporter, I, I agree. She was not necessarily the most effective camp campaign. She was not the most effective candidate, but she did have a lot of things going against her. And I think if we can have that dichotomy and nuance, we're a party that's better for it. That can be long-term and sustainable and will attract and continue to attract a big tent of ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of it is, I don't want to overstate um, the the effect that kind of the diehard Bernie supporters had, because from what I've seen, um, it was a relatively small number who didn't support her. Um, yep. And and if she had gotten better turnout, things could look differently, and we wouldn't really be focused on that. Um, so, like I, I bring up often um, in '08, about the same number of her supporters defected to um, McCain as you know Bernie supporters defected away from her. So. And, but Obama still won uh, because he turned out the vote more. So, you know, it's, it's yep. complex. There's a lot of different things going into it. And I think we do a disservice when we try to focus only on one. Um, and I think it's it's kind of crazy to me that with how unpopular Donald Trump is, that 2020 still feels like a threat because we just don't necessarily know how we're going to proceed. You know, if if Bernie happens to run again and gets the nomination, maybe, you know, maybe it's Bernie and then, you know, five kind of similar, you know, candidates that, that kind of split the, the general Dem vote, you know, Harris and Booker and whoever else, and he happens to win, you know, are those people, are those kind of more centrist Dems going to be willing to turn out for him? And then the other way around, if, you know, Kamala Harris wins, are the diehard Bernie supporters going to be willing to turn out for her? Um, I don't think it should be that way with, how unpopular Trump is. And I don't imagine he's going to get more popular. It seems like he's kind of, you know, he's kind of at where he's going to be. You know, there's a lot of people who will never abandon him. So we can't expect it to go too low unless, you know, there's some kind of crazy indictment or something, but (laughs) you know, we should be in a good spot and yet it kind of feels like we are. And and I, I think that's, I, I don't know how much of that is just, because I get kind of my information from people on Twitter and you never know if, you know, you're just engaged with kind of the, the extremes. And yeah, it's hard. Kind of I, I get kind distort of, you. I get that distorted feel too. I, I get what you mean. I kind of have to question that all the time. And it's good that, that you bring that point up. You know, do we get stuck in our echo chambers of information from who we follow or see uh, from the retweets of who we follow of what they're saying? And is it truly the indication of the, the, the larger community of of uh of voters out there and you know it's a it's a conf- it's it's a moment as a practitioner in social media marketing you can get good polling type statistical data but just like any poll right um you're limited to the number of people you're talking to 
And is that a true indication at large? Well, you know, scientific polls and the polling they do are a lot more, um, you know, weighted and have a lot of things to kind of extrapolate the larger set of, of Americans' thoughts and opinions. But in our own personal lives, as we're on Twitter, I think, you know, it's great to be an activist on Twitter and to have your voice heard. But I believe the way that the Democratic Party heals is by getting out there and speaking to each other. And and there's a lot of folks that are doing that. Connor, Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania for that special election coming up, what, Tuesday? Or is it the next Tuesday? Might be this Tuesday. Yeah, I'm um, not sure. Yeah, it's 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 a it's really close. It's either a week uh, this Tuesday or a week after that. And you know what he's doing is uh, he's he's one he's outraising the candidate directly. Although the the Republican Party's thrown in a ton of money uh, for the other guy, Sicconi, I think, or Sicione. I don't know how you say his name, but this Connor Lamb guy, he's out there hustling and he's going to the people and he's getting ground grassroots uh, type political favor uh by doing it just old school you know and i think that's our differentiation if you look at what tom perez is doing uh first of all he's he's saying we're gonna call or knock on 50 million doors Mm -hmm. i think that's how we win connor lamb's doing it out there doug jones he won because he had people on the streets all the time talking to voters face to face outside of social media and in texas beto o'rourke you should follow that guy on Twitter. He is hustling. Mm-hmm. He is getting in front of people nonstop. Whereas what? What is Ted Cruz doing? Out there pontificating on the Senate floor and reading Cat in the Hat and whatever he might do. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's our chance. We've got to take it to the streets and we got to really get politically involved and get people to register to, to vote. Um, how are things up there in Washington, JJ? Uh, your political landscape it's a pretty dim safe haven, right? So do you see much infighting there on the left? I don't really see it too much around here. I mean, it's the state overall definitely ends up leaning right. But when you get into Eastern Washington, that tends to be red. Um, You know, it's like pretty much every state, the more rural you get, the more red you get. Um, But we actually, this past year, um, the Dems took over control in both the state house and um, state Senate. I think they had control in one before and now they have um, like a super majority in the other or something like that. But so we've been able to, to do some things, but I don't see as much of the infighting um, locally. There's um, one uh, um, U S house of representative seat um, that was controlled by a Republican named Dave Reichert, who is now retiring. He's one of the many Republicans we see kind of starting to flee, um, which is, I think in some ways a good thing in some ways, I think it's, you know, it's some of the more moderates who seem to be kind of quitting um, because they don't want to stand up to Trump. But that's that's a different discussion. Um, but that's that's a seat that is is pretty close to me. Um, and there's, I think, a, a pretty big field of Democrats kind of vying for that now. But the Republican is a guy by the name of Dino Rossi, who ran for governor here twice, lost both times. Um, and I think he's also been in our state house before or something like that. Um, so he's got a lot of money behind him. So that might be kind of tough, but obviously we do have, you know, a ton of, um, just Democrat turnout all over the place seems to be up right now. Um, and I think that is one thing that can help us in 2020. If we keep that up, um, you know, we may not, it may not matter too much how we, how divided we are. If we have more and more people turning out, you know, I think 
the, one of the reasons Republicans win and they know this is when, you know, turnout is down and that's why they have, you know, crazy voter ID laws and things like that. Um, so when we get people to turn out, you know, with, with how unpopular Trump is, if you get some people who never really cared about politics before, but maybe now they're engaged, they might be willing to vote for whoever is running against Trump. Um, you know, and in 2018, we can see a lot of Democrats probably picking up seats. So, um, I think the, the, um, you know, excitement is up everywhere, but I think, you know, in a, in an area like Seattle, where it's generally pretty blue already, I don't see it quite as much. Um, yeah. I'm having to kind of look across the country, but still, I think it's always good to see that kind of wave across the country. Um, because I, I, I kind of generally feel comfortable here because I know that our state is usually going to do the right thing. You know, we've, um, challenged Trump's, uh, the travel ban and things like that. But, you know, I like to see that kind of in other states where it's more mixed or maybe they're red states that are t- starting to move blue or something like that. Um, well, like, like I think that's Texas, always good to see. It's not as a uh, strong Republican as it used to be. Um, you know, and I think that's the key, right? Uh, for a long time, I've lived in the state of Texas now since I was 12 years old, uh, Oklahoma before, uh, which is even redder. Uh, but in the last 20 years, when I became of age at 18 and I went to the University of Texas, that was my first election I voted in. And I voted for very proudly Al Gore. Um, my roommate voted for for Bush. Um, and my roommate, who's also my fraternity brother and uh, best friend still, he's uh, as he's gotten older, he did the opposite of of what the, uh, what most people think. A lot of people think, oh, you're young and you're so progressive and you start as Democrat, but as you get older, right. you'll become a Republican. He did the opposite. Um, he became a Democrat. So uh, win for me, but I <laughs> <laughs> brainwashed him. No, he's a, uh, he's a good guy. He's a small business owner, just like me. And uh, you know, he understands that um, it's about fairness. It's not about, uh, you know, it's a game. And, and I think some Republicans think that, but anyway, my point with Texas is that, Ever since I was a voting age, and even before that, everybody would just kind of make this assumption, oh, you know, after after our governor, what was her name? Kay Bailey Hutchinson, I think, was a Democratic governor, our last Democratic governor. After that, and, and when Bush became governor of Texas, everybody just sort of assumed, oh, it's going to go red. Oh, it's going to go red. And people, that's like almost self-suppression of the vote. Mm-hmm. And we've got to stop thinking that. We've got to think just like any good sports team, uh, and JJ could probably have a whole separate podcast about that. <laughs> but because his love of baseball is tremendous, um, but uh, just like any good sports team, who who shows up and says, "Eh, we're probably not going to win." You don't do that. Mm-hmm. We've got to be able to compete at every single level and think that we can win. And we have got to stop being this sort of what I view sometimes as a soft party. Mm-hmm. We've got to stand up. It doesn't mean you have to be disrespectful or angry or mean. We have to stand up with facts, truth, and stop being so emotional. And if you speak to the human truths of fairness, of inclusion, of everybody wants to be respected and we need a construct for success, we can win in every state. And we got to take it to the people and get actively involved, get people registered and show up and vote and believe that we can win. And I think that mentality is changing some, um, but we've got to sustain it. And, we, and, and our answer can't just be, an, our, our, our mentality can't just be anti-Trump. Mm-hmm. It's got to be deeper than that. Because I think that was Hillary's downfall, right? She got two, her only message at the end was anti-Trump. Yeah, I'm better than Trump. I'm just not Trump. Well, that's just not good enough. And so that's, that's what we got to do. And I think the, uh, 
analysis of some of these seats that have flipped, uh, probably Doug Jones or maybe Ralph Northam over in Virginia and some of these other special election state seats, what has proven to be true when these folks win is that it's not really a message of anti-Trump. It's a message of let's build a broad coalition for the people. And that's the core of the Democratic Party. Um, and so we've got to get back to our roots. Yeah. Keep building that big umbrella. Um, so yeah, I think what Texas you, is interesting. Yeah. Uh, before we get to that, I think what you brought up about um, how, you know, we need to stick to facts. I think part of what bothers me so much about the Hillary Bernie divide is that I think we're better than that. I don't think we have to resort to that kind of just like petty, like it's like a, it, it's become like a team sport uh, where we don't care about the information. We care about our side and we're willing to, you know, defend Bernie at all costs. We're willing to defend Hillary at all costs and never defend the other one. And I think, you know, uh, part of what I think Republicans have a kind of advantage in that a lot of their policies are, they can be said very simply. So, you know, uh, tax cuts are good, right? They say that and it's just a blanket statement and it sounds good because people want to keep their money. They don't have yeah. to necessarily think about that. Well, maybe if you pay less taxes, it's going to hurt people's health care or maybe your own health care, whatever. Or, you know, abortion is bad because it's murder. You know, the, the the response to that from the Dems is not abortion is good. You know, it's something much more complex about, you know, a woman's right to choose. And that's that doesn't fit as well in a soundbite. Um, and so we do have to kind of, I think we have the facts and the data on our side in most cases. And I think we need to rely on that. But instead, sometimes we feel the need to kind of, we still feel the need to kind of stretch the truth and lie. And I don't think that helps us. Um, and I think that's, that's seen in, you know, when, when I get called a bot on Twitter by, by Hillary supporters or when oh hardcore Lord, yeah. Bernie supporters call me a, a neo-lib or whatever. And it's like, I don't think, I mean, obviously neither one of those are true, but they're not concerned about that because as soon as I start to engage with them and don't agree with them 100%, I must be the other side and no nuance exists for them. Um, and I, I think that's, that's the opposite of what we should be about. You know, we're a pro-science party. We're, you know, a pro-fact party or a pro-equality party. We have these things on our side and we don't need to resort to this pettiness. Um, and I think it's just, you know, I, I don't see the value of that, but yet it keeps happening. Um, and I think, you know, part of what Republicans, um, they win again because they they vote for whoever their party puts up. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways that's bad. In some ways it means they win. Um, you know, whereas we they can get their policies enacted, right? Trump's right. not the perfect, the perfect candidate for them. And there's a lot of GOP who hate him, but guess what? Tax cuts. They're cool with that. Yep. Protecting the gun debate at all costs. They're good. They're good with that. Ben Sass, perfect example. Right. And I think this is probably what proves your point exactly about what you're saying is that how many times has Ben Sass said, a, had a strongly worded tweet or statement exactly. and did everything to vote with trump mm -hmm. yeah and and i'm not saying you know if if the the liberal version of trump came along in 2020 whatever that would look like uh, you know i would hope that we had you know enough sense to not let it even get as far as far as you know the nomination um yeah. but you know when we have you know a bernie and a hillary or you know in 2020 maybe a, a bernie and a harris or a booker i would hope that you know i'm fine with us during the primaries debating and and having a true, you know, election and, and having a battle of ideas. But when it comes down to it, I would hope that we see 
especially when when the alternative is Trump. You know, if it was if the president right now was John Kasich or something, and someone you know on the on the left, you know, wasn't happy with Kamala Harris and wanted to throw out a, po- a protest vote, you know, fine because it's John Kasich, whatever. But when it's someone like Trump, and you know the damage that he's able to do, um, you know, obviously putting through the normal Republican legislation, but also all the kind of crazy stuff he wants to do. I would hope we would have the better sense to to come together, um, you know. And I'm kind of hopeful that there. I I I wonder if I think a lot of people think, especially on the farther left, they want to say that Hillary lost because she's too centrist. I don't think that's true. I think a lot of it was that people didn't trust her, and I don't think a lot of that was un uh, was fair because I think it's you know 20 years of Republican attacks, but I really don't think it had to do with you know, her being a more, a a more traditional Democrat, I think it had to do with, you know, distrust and, and propaganda against her. So, you know, I hope that if, regardless of who it is in 2020, that we can kind of come together and, and they'll pull out a win. Um, so I guess now we can transition. You want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Texas on the Republican side and how that seems to, to involve some infighting as well. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, and, and honestly, it's, uh, foreboding for the Democratic Party, too, in a way. So, you know, if we think back to Obama's time when he was elected, what rose up out of that was a faction called the Tea Partiers, right? And the Tea Partiers had a great message and to the Republican base that we're really tired of these, uh, you know, elitist Republicans. We need to shake things up. We need to go after freedom and the second amendment and getting rid of abortion and really hard line right wing kind of stuff. Um, and they won a lot of seats. <laughs> Guess what's happening now. They can't govern worth a damn. They really can't. They have a lot of great talking points. They can pontificate on the floor. They can come up on TV and the Jim Jordans and the Mark Meadows can say a lot of crazy things. And all it does is spin into a conspiracy theory and they have to keep you know, placating their base every single day with the craziest thing that they can think of that day just to keep getting elected and to stay in power. But it's never born out of facts or reason or or good policy. It's just born out of what can I do to get my name out there and continue to get elected. I always called the Tea Partiers really the Kim Kardashians of <laughs> politics. Um, they, they just said whatever was the craziest thing they could to get elected. It's the Fox Newsification and the Trumpification of politics. Um, there's no substance behind it. It's very vapid and it's uh, maddening. It, mu- it must kill John McCain. I mean, it is in a way because the guy... You know, used to talk to Tip O'Neill and they would talk about facts and they would talk about, you know, policy debates and they would they would argue about policy, not just theory. And and what that has done, the Trumpification of the Republican Party in the state of Texas has caused a a pretty severe civil war. That's why I think that if we can get on the same page here in Texas as a as a Democratic Party, we can flip a lot of seats um, because of that infighting. For example, Ken Paxton uh, is the attorney general here in Texas. And, uh, you know, there's a epicenter of Republican politics here in Plano, Texas, which is just outside of Dallas, a suburb that George W. Bush attends a church uh, called Prestonwood Baptist Church. That's his church. Um, 
But in that church is a microcosm of the civil war of the Republican Party. You have the centrist Republicans who are like really appalled at the racism, the bigotry, the the cult mindset, the um, obedience to the cult of Trump above party, <laughs> which is crazy. And and there's those right wingers who will do whatever it takes to stay in power, whatever it takes to cover up their corruption and their crimes. Ken Paxton um, was, uh, and I want to make sure I get this right, so I may give it a Google while we're on here. <laughs> uh, but I forgot exactly what he was. Um, yeah, I think I think he was kind of under uh, a trial, or he got like indicted or something about corruption. And Judge Becker uh, is the is the one who um, kind of put that in place and started the investigation in 2015. And um, so the Republicans' response, much like over in Pennsylvania, uh, where they're trying to impeach judges because the Republicans didn't like their their judgment, or much like Trump, who rails the Ninth Circuit and says we need to break it up because they have a judgment he didn't like. Um, Ken Paxton and and that side of the Republicans are essentially trying to, you know, gin up. Uh, these crazy right-wing Republicans to replace um, the the moderate Republicans. And so there's this huge civil war within that one church where you have the right-wing versus the traditional Republicans. And on TV, Ken Paxton, who knows that if he can get his family members elected, he's going to be a lot more protected for his crimes. His wife, Angela Paxton, who's being propped up by a lot of that right-wing PAC money, uh, is running against uh, a gentleman who is a businessman, more center Republican, has worked with Democrats in the past, uh, Peter Huffines. And so Huffines has uh, owned a lot of dealerships here in North Texas. Um, pretty run-of-the-mill, central, boring Republican. Um, but the ads on TV during these primaries, where which end on March 6th, are some of the craziest ads I've ever seen. You know, they're just attacking each other. And, you know, even the judge, right? So the judge, Judge Scott Becker, who was the one who started the investigation of Ken Paxton, is getting attacked by the crazy right wing. They're trying to replace him as a judge, essentially, so Ken Paxton, his case goes away. Is that really governing for the people? No, <laughs> that's governing for one's own self-interest. And that's that's where that party has gone. Mm -hmm. Um and so we have an opportunity to register young people uh, who see this craziness and go, I don't want any of that. And we have an opportunity to solidify messages, Democrats, to basically take advantage of that infighting. I mean, we're infighting about like kind of silly things sometimes in the Democratic Party. Absolutely. We're getting mad, you know, over, over tiny policy things and we're fighting to the death about that. Here's the deal. Um, and not that this is at all equitable, but in the mindset of what I'm about to say, I think it is. And so Abraham Lincoln said to Mrs. Keckley, who was the assistant to Abraham Lincoln's wife, two days before the vote was supposed to be scheduled to uh, free the slaves, to have an, the 13th Amendment vote. Um, you know, he asked her, because the congressman Yeeman from Kentucky, who was... Uh, a Democrat from Kentucky who who hated slavery but was afraid of uh, what happens after we free them. Are they going to get to vote? 
what's the slippery slope? Are they going to become representatives? Uh, are they going to, is that going to lead to the woman's vote? Sort of like the second amendment argument we have mm-hmm. where we want to ban assault rifles, and, and and the crazy people are like, well, if we assault, uh, ban assault uh, weapons, then you're going to take all our guns. Well, no, 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 that's not what we're saying here. Uh, but in that, so this Yeeman from Kentucky was against voting for the amendment essentially because he was afraid that the country wasn't ready to deal with the end of slavery, meaning we'd have 4 million free African-Americans. What do we do with them? And then is that a slippery slope to even worse things? And and so there was a, a, a people hated slavery like that, but didn't want to vote for it because they were afraid of it. And so Lincoln asked Mrs. Keckley, who was an African-American, she was a slave to begin with. She was then freed and worked with Molly Lincoln, Lincoln's wife. And he said, what do your people think about, you know, the African-Americans? What happens when you're free? And she said, we've, we've not thought about that. From the day we existed, we've been fighting for our freedom. It's freedom first. We'll mm-hmm. figure everything out later. And that's what the Democrats have to really embrace. It's let's get elected and get put in place first. We can then argue on the floor about policy, but we can't ever get our policies, whether it's, let's just take hourly wage, minimum wage, $12 or $15 per hour, unless we have one of us, at least one of us in that seat. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's take advantage of the Republican civil war uh, and get, get elected. Yeah. And I think that, that 12 versus 15, I think kind of goes back to, um, you know, my point about how some of the, the kind of ideologues we have kind of um, where, you know, I'm always right, you're always wrong. I think, I, I mean, I generally support a higher minimum wage. 15 sounds good, but there's some places where 15 is probably too high. You know, maybe 12 would be more appropriate there. So there's, we're not injecting that nuance that we need. And I think, you know, we get so wrapped up in, you know, defending a candidate or defending a specific position and we're unwilling to, to change and I think that's that's going to hurt us. And, you know, I saw, uh, I think maybe last week, Kamala Harris tweeted um, essentially like a checklist of things she wants. And it was single payer was on there and free college was on there. And I think um, minimum wage was on there. And she's someone that gets, you know, called a centrist constantly by Bernie supporters. And her, her platform now seems to be exactly what Bernie ran on. Now you yeah, can I remember, maybe, I remember your your quote tweeted that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, I can see maybe some people wondering whether that's legitimate or not, and that's fine. But it seems to me that, you know, whoever runs is going to be running on a pretty progressive uh platform. And I believe we've seen even Cory Booker saying he's not gonna take like uh corporate money or something like that anymore. And he's like gets tons of donations. So clearly yeah, pharmaceutical. Yeah, you're big yeah yeah so clearly there's this movement is happening and i think you know we're gonna have to see if the people who are calling for you know these more centrist candidates to come on board are they now going to shift the goalposts again and say that they're not doing enough you know what is you know what what do they actually look for and i think at that point we'll see whether they're legitimate in their call for progressive change or if they're more just kind of ideologues that you know have made up their mind and and are only, you know, concerned about, you know, what Bernie does or what Nina Turner does or, or rather than kind of being open to real change and nuance. And, 
you know, look, if if Kamala Harris runs on that and wins, and then turns it turns out that she wasn't truthful, then of course, you know, we can criticize her endlessly for that. But you know, it seems like right now that's where we're going. You know, Gillibrand is on board with all that. Uh, Warren certainly is. I think basically everyone who's thinking about running, except maybe Biden, we don't know. You know, he's not, he's not quite as involved. We don't know where he stands. But you know, it seems like those are the things that are pretty mainstream in the Democratic Democratic Party now. So. You know, uh, I understand people want even more than that, and they're not totally happy with everything. But it seems to me it's going to be pretty tough to to not support one of them. Um, you know, we have plenty of progressives running around the country, and you know, uh, Senate races and House races and state races and things like that. So um, we have a, a tremendous opportunity, I think. You know, with someone as unpopular and and just ignorant as Donald Trump, and then you know some of the infighting you say you see in Texas and probably elsewhere, you know, we have an opportunity and, and I just, I hope we don't squander it because, you know, I think you said on the first episode, making uh, the perfect, the enemy of the good, you know, we, we have to really avoid that and, you know, have our, have our battles in the primaries and, and, you know, may the best person win. But after that, you know, buckle down and and vote for the candidate who's going to actually make some positive difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we, we have so much energy, you know, and, and again, speaking of Texas, you know, for me, we have Lindsey Fagan, uh, uh, who's the Dem in the primary versus Will Fisher, who's another Dem in the primary. They're the perfect um, JJ and Adam. If you think about it, yeah. Lindsey's yeah. probably ascribed more to a lefter version of the Democratic Party uh, like JJ and and Will's probably closer to the center like me. Um, but at the end of the day, they're on the same page and they want the same things for, for this district. And they want to flip it blue because Michael Burgess, who's a sycophant for Trump. I don't know what he does. Um, yeah, <laughs> honestly, not for my district. Uh, and, and so at the end of the day, I don't think it matters who wins that primary. It's they're going to support each other. And Lindsay is working her butt off and it's making will a better candidate. Uh, Lindsay's a single mom, um, she's super smart, super passionate, and she cares. She's not doing this to make money. She's not doing this to be corrupt. She doesn't have any special interest around her and neither does Will. And, you know, for Texas to have, for my district to have two such quality people who, who want to make change and to get rid of Burgess, I can't sit there and say, oh, well, you know, the guy I vote for in the primary will, uh, didn't win, so screw Lindsay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what disparage her to help Burgess win? How does that help my kids, man? Mm-hmm. I have a, that's what we got to think about. Uh, I have a 12 year old and an eight year old. <sighs> Do you think Michael Burgess is gonna give a damn about protecting them from a shooter in in high school? No, but I guarantee you, Will and Lindsay will. Mm-hmm. And I'm 36 years old, man. I, I I work at my house and my desk. Unless a shooter comes up here in suburban Frisco and comes and shoots, I'm good. But that could happen at a high school. It could. Mm-hmm. We're never Parkland was a a suburban haven. Rich people. Nobody ever thought that would happen, man. Nobody. Not in that town. It's Coral Springs in Parkland. Jeb Bush lives in Coral Springs. Nobody ever thought that would happen. So it can happen anywhere. And so we've got to start thinking like that. What's the future look like? You know, screw all the the temporary short term looks at this stuff. 
this is something we got to win. We got to believe we can win. And it's not just for us. It's for our future. That's really what it's about. We got to take our country back. And it's a better country when we go through the Dems, plain and simple. Absolutely. Um, so I think that'll probably do it for today. I think that we got a lot in. Um, we'll see if we can kind of try to keep doing this uh, more often. Um, you know, yeah. and, and like- I always enjoy it, JJ. Yeah, it's really my fault. I'm, I'm super busy. You know, I'm, uh, I've got the business and JJ's now what you're back in school, right? Yeah. Um, cool. School back in session. And so we've got our own individual things, but, uh, JJ keep pushing me. I love doing this. I, I have fun doing it with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Obviously, like I said at the beginning, we can't possibly keep up with, with everything. Even if we did one a day, there's, you know, tons and tons of things we'd miss at this time. You know, there's just every day there's, 17 new stories that you want to <laughs> yeah. care about and you can only care about a couple of them and things get swept under the rug and uh but you know we'll see what we can do um so thanks for being on adam enjoyed it yeah and we'll talk to you later yeah have a good one